0: Fortnite in Film is a podcast where every week you get the chance to listen in on a group of film lovers chatting about the great, or not so great, movies that we've been watching over the past fortnight. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of a Fortnite in Film. I'm your host Jason.
1: And I'm your co-host George.
0: Thanks for tuning in. I think this is—I looked back through all of our episodes, and I think this is the first time out of forty-plus episodes that I've hated all three films we're going to discuss.
1: Yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say this is a, this is a Jason special today. It is. This is a a one star a one star and half star it is because usually i can
0: find like even if there's a couple of films i hate usually there's at least one i'm like oh yeah i like and sometimes it's not even mine you know sometimes it's yours or jacob's or christian's yeah but um no this episode no not happening (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean well have you do you do you know my ratings
0: yet no i I know nothing of your ratings or anything Um,
1: okay okay well i won't i won't say um but we may agree on some things, but others won't. Okay.
0: Not. So, yeah, but I mean, I, I, you know, I would also say I feel like these, the films we picked, I feel like this is probably the most confusing episode we've also, we've done, also because I feel like we've never picked three confusing films like this on one episode like like we've had films before that were like confusing or surreal but i don't think it's been like fully on one episode i think well, this no, is I like mean, the pinnacle I mean, of
1: <laughs> yeah i mean for me for me um american beauty and is the least confusing um then then triangle of sadness yeah yeah i was gonna uh, say maybe confusing like, is the wrong word yeah,
0: maybe like, maybe surreal is a better word yeah,
1: i mean bunuel is you know known for his surrealism so you're you're, yes. gonna, you're gonna get that with him um, yeah so Discreet Charm of the Bourgeois is the most confusing out of them out of the films.
0: We will kick it off with my pick which is and actually I'll just note before we do uh, all three films like I wanted to see these three films for a long time I mean not your picks your pick only came out last year but all three films were on my watch list and I did want to check them all out so as much as I disliked them all I am glad I've seen them because I did want to see them all and I didn't really know what I'd i i did i am sort of surprised at my ratings like I did feel like like i I figured I would have a hard time with Jacob's pick because I knew how surreal it was, but I did sort of think, oh, I'll probably like my pick and I'll probably like your pick um didn't happen but. <laughs> yeah
1: from from my end i i um I studied American beauty in college um and I liked it at the time, so i I knew that I would like it again spoiler alert um and Boonwell, I'm used to Boonwell, because um, 'cause I've seen a couple of his other films. Triangle of Sadness, uh, because of its content, I was sort of a bit wary, but I won't we won't get into it yet. Um, but yeah, I you know, I wanted to see um the discreet charm of the bourgeois, and Triangle of Sadness was on my radar too. Um, so yeah. Once again, I always try and predict your ratings. <laughs> so with American Beauty, I wasn't I wasn't actually sure. So I, I wasn't well, I was sort of had a leaning, but I wasn't sure. Um, Tri- Triangle of sadness. I predicted what what's coming, and um, Discreet Show of the Bourgeois. Again, I very much predicted <laughs> what's coming. Um, so yeah, but we can we can get into it now. I'm so I'm so tuned in. I can I can literally predict what you're gonna rate. <laughs>
0: Christian dubbed me that moniker of a wild card, which I very much loved to this True. day. So yeah. sometimes I throw a curveball in there and I shock yeah. everyone. But yeah. generally speaking, yes. Yeah. If you can tell by what sort of film it is ahead of time what I'm going to think yeah. of
1: it. Yes, yeah. um... Although you liked um, <laughs> Bo is Afraid. Um, which I think yeah.
0: I yeah, I mean, yeah, that film was too damn long. But I mean, it is worth a watch because it is... It's a very gripping film, I would say. It's, it's a very strange. It's, it would be, It would have been a good pick for this this episode, actually, because that's a very surreal film as well. Um, but you know, there, there was something about it, that, like charmed me. There was something about it, that, like gripped me. I was like, it was long, and I was like, I half the time, I'm like, I don't get what is happening, but it it had something, you know, it gripped me. It it it, it intrigued me. So yeah, I. But yeah, that is a rarity, you know most most surreal sort of films I don't have a good time with. Um, <laughs> so uh, we'll kick it off with my pick, which is American Beauty from 1999, um, directed by Sam Mendes in actually his first film uh, as a director. Um, so it stars Kevin Spacey uh, in the main role. Um, Annette Benning is his wife. for Birch uh, is his daughter. Um and you know, there's uh other people in there. Wes Bentley, uh Alison Janney and Chris Cooper play the neighbours next door. Uh Mina Savaru is in there as one of Jane, who's the daughter, one of her friends. Um Peter Gallagher, who I always like to see, um, cause I remember him from the days of watching V O C. Um he's in there. So yeah, there's a lot of actors and actors in the film. Uh, so Kevin Spacey plays uh, someone called Lester Burnham, who works as... I don't even figure out what he worked as. It was like a journalist or something. I mean, he worked at some media I think it's. I think, I think it's advertising. I'm pretty sure advertising. It's advertising, yeah, okay, advertising. Um, yes, yeah, so he works in advertising. His wife is a real estate agent um, and has a 16-year-old daughter called Jane. Uh, but he is this, you know, uh, unfulfilled, unhappy man who doesn't really well, his wife and him, I guess, have fallen out of love, as it were, and the daughter doesn't really have a relationship with either of them. And this family moves in next door, who the father is this, um, like, retired U.S. Marine, and uh, the wife is, uh, you know, she's near catatonic, as Wicked describes it. Um, and then the son is, I mean, he's never given his age. I sort of assumed he was 18. I think he said that at one point, maybe. Because, um, I mean, she's 16, and he's yeah, he's a bit older, um, and he's uh, a drug dealer. He, You know, Lester realises he's unhappy in his life, and he's sort of just going through the motions, um, and he ends up becoming infatuated with uh, one of Jane's friends called Angela. You know, and at the same time, this is happening. His wife, Carolyn, begins his affair with uh, this buddy Kane. He's played by Peter Gallagher, who's like her rival in the real real estate game. Once Lester discovers this infatuation with this, you know, sixteen year old girl, his life sort of restarts. Um and he sort of figures I have something to, you know, live for now. And so he, you know, he ends up buying like this car he's always wanted. Um he ends up working out, uh because this this Angela says that she would, you know, have sex with with jane's father if he if he was you know more muscular and i'm sure we'll get to discussing the character of angela and her um proclivities for older men uh in the course of a discussion um i mean the film just goes on i mean said a lot of stuff happens um i don't know how relevant it is to say here because it's i would say the details of the plot maybe aren't as important as the overall themes But, you know, it it ends with uh, Lester ends up making a move on Angela. He finds out that she's a virgin, uh, contrary to her many claims of all the guys she's had sex with. And so he sort of then decides to, you know, like comfort her instead of have sex with her. And the neighbor, this Frank Fitch, who's a U.S. Marine colonel, who is this, like, you know, very homophobic guy uh, who mistakenly believes that his son Ricky, who actually ends up running off with Jane, the daughter, he believes that Ricky is in some, you know, gay relationship with Lester. You know, he sort of comes over to confront Lester about this earlier. And, uh, you know, you, you discover that, you know, uh, Colonel Frank Fitch is actually like a repressed homosexual uh, and he tries to come on to Lester, but Lester's like, No, you've got the wrong idea. Like, he was just, I mean, he doesn't say this, but he's like, He was just selling me drugs, you know, like we weren't, you know, it wasn't a gay thing. You know, after uh, Lester, you know, sort of, you know, comforts Angela, uh, Frank comes back uh, into the house and ends up killing Lester. Uh, and the film ends. Um, so I didn't feel like that a very good description because there's probably some I left out, and it just, it's just, like you said, it's a confusing film in some sense. And, yeah, no, that's, that's um, fine, that's fine, yeah. 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 So I gave it one star. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, said I wanted to see it forever. I'd heard a lot of good things about it, um, but it just... I don't know it 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 just you know what was the point of it you know like I I read so much stuff and I'll say and I said this in the last episode with Jacob and I forget or was it and I may no maybe it was when I was talking about Persona with Jacob and I said and I said when I don't get films as I often do I always read a lot of analysis after so I read a lot of analysis for all three of these films because I felt they we were all quite confusing and complex and dense in some sense um and so i read a lot of stuff about you know american beauty and what does it mean um I'd, 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 what does it mean yeah that's my point i mean it, it 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 reminds me of and i do think it's a better film than this but it reminds me of like magnolia you know where, where i got to the end of that and i'm like what was the point you know um it it seemed and it seemed to me to be along those same that same vein of this like fake you know like faux philosophical meaning you know but when you sort of peel back the lasers like there's nothing there you know this is nothing of great importance or depth so it's and you know i read it's about oh you know existentialism and about you know american life and about you know, all this stuff i just i got to the end of it and i'm like this is just stupid like i just uh, I got to and I'm like, that was just a waste of time. So, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, but, but, but enough, you, you know, you've, you've um, studied it, I mean, so you probably I, have I mean, more of an insight to well, no, I me.
1: Mean, well, well, when I say studied it, um, I studied it when I was like 60, like 17, yeah. um, still. I, I mean, that's, like, that's I more, I wasn't like into films. Oh, yeah, so that's probably more analysis um, of it than I've done. So. But I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, I kind of think you know, it, it is about a lot of things um sort of passion um midlife crisis um conformity consumerism teenage angst there's a lot of things at play um it is quite confusing in the sense that there's lots of things going on like there are lots of characters sort of um problems and motivations all sort of mixed up
0: which Um, is like magnolia in a sense right
1: yeah yeah but i mean magnolia i think is more confusing than this um
0: but, but it, i mean, I mean it, 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 it's interesting that both of them came out in the same year, yeah actually
1: and a fight club um, as well um, which is yes. of, tackles sort of similar themes as well i I didn't like Fight club, but it tackles sort of similar themes yeah I mean funny um, enough, I did like
0: fight club but, but yeah I a mean, year seemed to be the year for yeah you know existential yeah, confusing actually, yeah. films so. <laughs> but I, mean,
1: look, I I think this is a great film um I gave it four I gave it four stars um
0: well, I mean, that, that I was going to say that's in line with leatherbox. Leadbox has, yeah. has a three point nine yeah. average. So.
1: Yeah. So um, how do I? I I don't know. I think it's pretty gripping. I think it's funny in parts. Um, I thought it was moving. Um, great scripts, cinematography, music, editing—all oh, that's all oh, that's great. Um, I can sort of go into some of the themes that I think it does tackle. Um, I mean. Basically, the, if you think about it, like the main cast is comprised of people going through like a sort of identity crisis or being sort of lost to like chasing an identity. So like Jane has a sort of teenage angst, um, body dysmorphia. Lester has a midlife crisis. Um, Frank repressed, you know, gay feelings. Um, Angela being put on sort of like a pedestal because of how attractive she is. Um, And all of these things are kind of on display and felt throughout the narrative. And they're shown to be kind of like withholding, life-consuming, imprisoning. Um, Like everyone apart from Jane is portrayed as something bad. So like Lester's disposable. Carolyn's narrowly um, narrowly sort of um, focused. Um, Angela, like I said, is put on a pedestal. Um, Frank is unable to understand himself or others. So the film kind of, um, it like wants these people to be seen as broken or lost. Like they're all sort of missing something. Um, and I suppose the main theme is sort of entrapment, which I read, I read, well, Wikipedia has quite a big thing on it, but I'm, I watched some videos as well. The main thing is sort of like freedom because um, all, all of the characters feel like trapped in one way or another. So like the prison is like a sort of prison for each of them. So for Lester, it's that of sort of, mundanity and having to give in to like a sort of certain like sedation when it comes to his job, his, his life his family doesn't love him um, for Carolyn it's sort of her own like image of success and like the sort of material pleasures that she associates herself with that um, for Jane and Angela it's their own sort of teenage insecurities um, for Ricky it's the grasp of um, Frank who's abusive, Frank is obviously his homosexual sort of, sort of tendencies um and they all have sort of dreams which amount to one thing which is freedom like they all want to be free from their own sort of personal prisons um and depending on which character you focus on um their perception of freedom and beauty kind of changes um but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Lester a bit if, that, if that's okay um, can, can your podcast so, as much like, as it is mine okay. so. <laughs> um yeah so at the beginning of the film he's kind of like trapped in this mundane job which he hates and like the family doesn't love him they share no love for each other um, and the family turmoil is sort of shown through the cinematography so if you notice like very rarely do we see them framed together we only see them in like photographs together where they're reminiscing on good times uh, or when they're forced to be together like at the dinner table um, when they're driving to school or work it's only moments that they have to be together so that shows how like sort of broken they are um and like you know now they have no interest in spending time with one another but you know they they want to be happy when they are together but you can't have both like you can't sort of force it um and then as Lester begins to sort of liberate himself it's reflected in the cinematography so like um in all previous confrontations he was shot from like above and like sort of made to look weak while the other person is made to look sort of Shot from a lower angle, so it made to look sort of stronger. But as the film goes on, he's more shot from like close-ups, um, from below, so he's gaining a sort of better perception of himself. Um, and then at that point, he sort of quits his job. Um, he sort of att- his more his attention shifts to more people, so he starts to focus more on his wife, his daughter, um, and he starts to work out and stuff. Um, but it's not actually a sort of True representation of this because he then gets another job at a fast food restaurant um, and he's actually ignoring his family more and more because he buys a sports car, does drugs, does you know all that sort of stuff. It's all like surface level joy. Um, and now we get on to Angela, which you, I think, you probably had an issue with. Um,
0: well, no, actually, Roger's quite an entertaining character in the Guns okay. Friends, okay. But like...
1: Um, But so, like, all of this is brought into motion by his attraction to Angela but the attraction is really i think because of her sort of free spirit like she's young free can do whatever she wants which is ultimately what lester wants like he he doesn't actually love her it's just an example of him like not understanding what he actually wants like it's his desire for things to work out without having to sort of work for anything um and it kind of leads up to the moment at the end where lester turns down the sex with angela because he realizes that she's a virgin Then he looks at a photo of his family and sort of starts to think back on the good times they had. And it's a sort of self-reflexive moment where he realizes what he's been doing. He's harming his marriage, pushing away his daughter, lusting after a teenage girl. Um, So it's like taking a step back at life, realizing, you know, this is what I'm doing is wrong. And he sort of realizes that the true beauty is in his like family. He needs to start looking after his family again and not doing all this material stuff, you know, chasing after this teenage girl um and the sort of point of Vesta dying is to tell the audience don't wait until it's too late to start appreciating these like beautiful little things you know like it's hyperbolic as he gets shot but it's like symbolism i guess people have called this scene pretentious you know the, the the plastic bag scene where ricky is looking at the video but it's sort of like it's both that scene and the scene where Ricky then sees Lester dead and sort of smiles, it's kind of he's seeing what true beauty is and that's like accepting life so it's like focusing on the small things that make us happy Um, you know, he finds true happiness um, to to enjoy life you have to focus on the good things and look closer at what kind of should be sort of valued I guess. The um, screenplay is clever too because basically in a good story, like um, characters, they sort of each add something to the overall theme. Like they demonstrate the larger theme at play. Um, and American Beauty does this because you know Lester is having a reawakening. He's sort of um, tired of putting on a show for the sake of appearances. Carolyn's defining her self worth based on how successful she appears. Um, Jane, surrounded by people who thinks that sort of image determines your worth, but she finds someone who allows her to see how special she is for her appearance. You know, how beauty is sort of more on the inside and not just on the outside. Um, Colonel Fix is, you know, terrified of his true self. So he locked it away. Um, so they, they sort of form a strand of the main theme, which is finding your true self and sort of breaking free and finding the true beauty in your life and not just a sort of superficial stuff, you know? Um, so in terms of, the, I, I don't want to go on and on, but because there's a lot of themes that I could sort of talk about, um, but and, and like the, the the tone for me is like perfectly split between like sort of somber and light hearted, like it's sort of it's sort of interchangeable, but I feel it balances as well. Like the the comedy relief is sort of used to break up the sort of sad moments. Um, cinematography, like the camera work, the the the, the, the framing is great. For example. Lester, when he's in his office at the start, there's like a shot of him in his computer screen, and it's like the bar, they, they look like bars on the screen. Um, there are multiple shots like that where it sort of demonstrates what the characters are sort of feeling internally. Um, the editing and the lighting and the sort of fantasy scenes are great. Um, the music is great. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to go on because I've got, you know, there's a lot of notes about sort of Sexuality, um, you know, the, the sort of notion of the American dream, um, the, the notion of this like sort of perfect white picket fence suburban house, and it sort of represents that, you know, it may, some of these families may look perfect, but on the inside there's a lot of shit, you know, going on, a, a lot of repressed feelings and stuff. And when it comes to Angela, like people complain about the fact that, oh, you know, Kevin Spacey's characters are nonce, like all this sort of stuff. But like people forget that at the end of the film, like Lester comes to the same conclusion and doesn't actually follow through with having sex with her. Like he he focuses on his family being happy, you know. Um, and Angela instead sort of symbolizes all the dreams and fantasies that Lester wants. So like it's creepy that he does have an attraction to her, which is not, I'm not excusing pedophilia, obviously, because he doesn't act on it, but it's kind of natural maybe for like a Middle aged man to sort of look back and think, oh, like I used to be young, like I used to be attractive to these young girls, you know. But one thing, my one complaint, I suppose, is um, I think parts of it appear dated to that 90s sort of, um, sort of to the 90s, like the whole frank, like homosexual stuff, maybe a bit dated because I don't know how common, like obviously, homosexuality is much more permitted now I suppose and it was in the 90s so maybe that was more of a bigger theme
0: back then I don't know well and, and and just and I found that whole thing just so like cliche in terms of oh well of course the person who hates gay people is secretly gay himself it's like actually there's some people out there who just hate gay people and aren't gay Obviously I'm not excusing anyway if it's you know tolerable I mean I'm saying there are people out there who dislike. Gay people, lesbian people, transgender people, whatever, and has nothing to you because know, a lot of people online who are, you see this shit online all the time. Oh well, they they only hate gay people because they're a secret, you know, flaming homosexual themselves. And it's like, no, some people just hate gay people. It's wrong, but some people just hold those views. Doesn't mean they're gay themselves, you know? I
1: think, yeah, I, I agree with you for some of that. I didn't think it was a like that was probably the weakest part of the film for me, but I didn't have a me like a big problem with it. I just thought. Like Lester's, like, Lester's journey and, like, Carolyn and Jane, they were all more, sort of, um, interesting to me than Frank's, even though he's the one who pulls the trigger at the end.
0: Yeah, no, I, I just found that, that whole angle, I was just like, Well, wow, this is just, like, people on the internet today who, you know, <laughs> think that anybody who aids gay people is secretly gay themselves, and it's like, mm, not, not always. And not often, I would say, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just think it's a, you know, very well-written... Very character centric, which I like, um, um, and I think it is quite clever in how it tackles all of these, all of these themes which it's trying to, you know, show. Um, there's obviously the, the motif of the rose as well, which is I think it's meant to sort of represent passion. How each, you know, each person's particular passion and their love and stuff and their beauty. Um, so yeah, I mean, I did a sort of deep dive into it. There's a lot of stuff which you know would we'll take a bit more research and like, f- further watches. Um, but, yeah, I think it's... A, I know it's had some critical re-evaluation, but mostly people still like it. Like, um, I think... I, I think in even... In 1999, I think Sam Mendes even said he was surprised to an extent that the Free furore and the, sort of, uh, 10... I think it got 10 Oscar nominations. Um, yeah, it won five, so... It, it won Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Editing, I think, and all that. Um, so, Yeah. I'm glad I revisited it because I was keen to, and I liked it as I did back then. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: So, yeah, so that was a very insightful, in-depth explanation, which I very much appreciated. I'm sure our listeners do as well. It's funny because I agree with a lot of what you said. Like, I agree with, you know, all your interpretations and what they mean. I'm like, I can get all that, it just didn't do anything for me. But I do have in my notes, actually, which I forgot to say before, I did find this, even though I gave it one star, I did find it a very hard film to rate, in a sense, uh, because I went back and forth, made it, okay, I really don't get it, I really don't, you know, like it, in a sense, I'll give it one star, but then I'm like, oh, maybe I should give it, like, three stars, or maybe, like, two stars, and so this, it, and it's probably one of the, you know, because usually I get to the end of the film and I'm pretty certain. I'm like, okay, this is a five-star film or this is a one-star film or whatever. I, I, I do think I'm being half giving it one star, um, but it it was just, you know, I just couldn't discern any meaning from it. But I, I will say that there's something about it that like, intrigued me. You know, like, I was I was enthralled by what was happening on the screen and and by the characters who were on the screen even though i thought rationally none of this matters and i don't care but there was a part of me like i do care i want to see what happens i want to see this through and and you know i I will give it a few compliments i do think the acting was good um from everybody um i thought the soundtrack was good um i did laugh at a few points so it was funny at times and yeah look i've said i probably am being harsh with one star honestly but but um, it's funny, because I love Sam Mendes usually. Like, I've only seen a few of his films. But, I mean, I thought 1917, amazing, four and a half stars. Road to Perdition, amazing, four and a half stars. I do need to revisit that to see if it still holds up in my mind. But certainly when I watched it for the first time, I was like, this is incredible. Um, Jarhead, I thought was great. But, um, yeah, American Beauty just didn't do it. And maybe it was, maybe it was because it was, like, it was his first film. So then I'm like, maybe he was trying to, like, be daring or push for envelope or explore these themes um because it was his first film and he was trying to make a splash i don't know um but but because you know it, 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 if you look at the films after that he I, I would i would say that he hasn't done a film like american beauty since he made american beauty
1: no i mean i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing and just you know you...
0: No, Bruno no. Bruno Bruno but I mean, it, it, he. I guess my point is, he's not like a, um, you know, like a. a how do you say his name? Buñuel. Is that how name say
1: Buñuel, Luis Buñuel.
0: Buñuel, yeah. He's not like a a, a Buñuel who's like he was always weird, right? He was always doing strange yeah. fucking films. Was the, like, the thing is, when when I,
1: you say strange, I don't think like I when I watch American music. I don't think this is weird. Like,
0: no not weird I mean more just I guess
1: like compare this to a Bu film and it's like
0: yeah weird. I know <laughs> no I know and this, this obviously had narrative and all the rest of it I I guess what I mean is just you know this sort of existential sort of film you know where it's it's not sort of a straight drama or a straight no, it's this sort of existential questioning of life and
1: I know what you mean. See, I, I like that though, because you can explore the themes and what's going on. Um, and it's sort of open to interpretation as well. So, but I guess that's where we, that's fine. That's where we differ. And that's, yeah. That's okay.
0: <laughs> so, um, shall we move on to your pick?
1: Unfortunately, we can.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, we might, there might be well, in queens here. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, my pick is, um, Triangle of Sadness, um, directed by Ruben Ostlund, um, caused quite a stir last year. I think because um, it won the it won the Palm Door um, at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, it stars um, Harris Dickinson, Charles B. Dean, who unfortunately died um, in August last year, um, which was I, I saw it on the news. That was that was sad. Um, she plays the lead. Well. Pretty much, I guess. Um, you have Woody Harrelson, um, Dolly De Leon. So yeah, I guess Woody Harrelson is like the main star. Um, so I guess I can do the synopsis. It's again mostly from Wikipedia. Sorry, but yeah. Um.
0: Oh, Charles B. Dean. She was the she died girl. Yeah, she. she oh. Died.
1: Charles B. Dean. She um. Yeah,
0: no, because when they said the name, it didn't register. I thought you were saying like Charles B. Deans. Oh, well. Who is that? And no, yeah, you know, yeah. And then it's oh, her. Yeah. She's dead.
1: Yeah, she died in August last year. Um, Rupture. Oh my god. Something before it was released properly. Um, she, she died. You know, you know the model in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that was gonna sound go. it
1: back. Um, I believe. Yeah, I
0: didn't even. I didn't even know that.
1: Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so that's that's the cast. There you go. Okay. Um, so the story is, so this th- split to three parts. Um, the first part is called Carl and Yaya. Um, and we start with Carl, who's a model. I um, mean, he's attending a sort of a casting call with other male models. Um, and he's dating Yaya, who's also a model and an influencer. And um, he basically resents her for expecting him to pay for meals, um, even though she earns more than he does. Um, and they bicker about money and gender roles, etc. And uh, Yaya admits that she's in a relationship with Carl for the engagement to earn some on social media, and that she seeks to become a trophy wife. Um, but Carl declares that sort of she'll come to love him. You know, yeah. So <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm sure her parents are very proud of her. Yeah, it. very proud. Yeah, <laughs> nice,
1: nice girl, nice girl. Um, part two is called the yacht. Um, Carl and Yaya are invited on a luxury cruise um, on a super yacht um, in exchange for its social media promotion. Um, and among the guests, there's a sort of Russian oligarch called Dmitry, who's so stereotypical. Um, and his wife, Vera, there's um, an elderly couple called Clementine and Winston, who reminded me of my granny a little bit. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, is that well, no, is it the sort of older, like, oh, yeah, smart English couple? Um, yes. Not, not the grenades dealing, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's Therese, uh, who's a wheelchair user. She's only capable of speaking a single sentence in German. She's had a stroke. Um, and there's Yarmo, who's a tech millionaire who sort of flirts with the IR and Vera and stuff. Um, and the guests are sort of like, sort of luxuriate on the yacht and they're um oblivious to the crew who are working to meet their every need um and the head of staff who's paula demands that they obey the guests absurd requests like they want the crew to like swim in the sea when they're preparing the dinner um and the crew is like the the food is going to go bad um but they sort of order them to do it anyway um and then carl complains to paula about a crew member who yaya finds attractive and gets him fired um and meanwhile, uh, Woody Harrelson, who plays the captain, Thomas Smith, spends his time basically drunk and sleeping in, um, in his cabin. Paula gets Thomas to sober up um, and attend the captain's dinner as there's a storm. And then there's like a 10 minute sequence of basically the guests becoming seasick, um, sort of vomiting and having diarrhea all over the place. It's pretty disgusting um, due to the off food and sort of panic breaks out. And then Thomas and Dimitri, uh, they sort of have a debate about communism and capitalism. Um, and the power goes out, and then when the morning comes, um, pirates attack the ship, um, and they sort of throw a grenade. And then it, it it did kind of make me laugh. Um, Clementine kind of picks up the grenade, and it's like, oh, is this is this one of ours? And then and then the grenade because they they basically deal in hand grenades, um, and then the boat blows up and capsizes. Whatever. That's the second part. The third part is called The Island. Um, so there's a small group of survivors uh, Carl, Yaya, Dimitri, Therese, Paola, Yamo. Uh, there's a ship mechanic who's Nelson, who Dimitri thinks is a pirate. <laughs> um, and there's a cleaning woman called Abigail, who they all manage to escape. And at first, sort of, Paola is ordering Abigail around and ordering the guests around. Um, but then it becomes clear that Abigail is the one who can fish, make a fire, basically survive. Um, so she sort of basically takes command um and the survivors they sort of start to bond and come to terms with the situation abigail gets power she gets her own private bed which is inside a lifeboat and she basically coerces carl um into leaving y- um, um yaya for her because she, um in exchange for like food so she so she gives him no yeah she gives him like special privileges and food and he has sex with her It's the sort of idea of it. Um, Yaya grows jealous. Um, Yamo kills a wild donkey by smashing it with a rock. Um, And then Yaya decides to hike to the other side of the island um, to sort of look for stuff. Um, And Abigail decides to go with her, despite Carl's concerns. Um, And they basically discover a beachside elevator and realize they have been on a luxury resort sort of all this time. Um, And back at the camp, um, Therese encounters a beach vendor but can't communicate the sort of situation that's happening um, Yaya celebrates finding the elevator but Abigail is hesitant to enter presumably because she's you know content with the power that she has um, she then prepares to attack Yaya over the rock but hesitates when Yaya um, offers to help Abigail get better work such as being an assistant and then it cuts there with um, uh, Abigail holding the rock above her head and then the final shot is carl running sort of frantically through the jungle um and then it ends so yeah um that's the that's the story um do you want to give your rating first and then talk about it
0: yes so again it's another one star for me uh, again it, it's sort of similar to american beauty in the sense of There were elements of it I liked, right? I thought technically it was good. I thought the camera work was good. I thought the lighting was good. I thought, and I thought, I would say the script, the characters, and the acting itself were all very authentic to me. Um, But I do think it was too long. Yeah, I I do think at times it was too nonsensical, um, probably from the second part onwards. And I do think it was far, far too on the nose in its critique of, you know, because the whole point of it is, oh, rich people are bad. Um, It was just so, like, you know, it there was no subtlety or or, or or nuance to it, you know. It was just this constant in-your-face, rich people are evil, rich people are evil, rich people are evil. I'm like, can't you do that in, like, a subtle, interesting way rather than just, like, blasting it in the audience's face for, like, two hours or however long this film is, or two and a half hours? Um. You know, it, I feel like it could have been a more intelligent film had it taken that message. And and, and I'll just say this, you know, I'll I'll, I'll uh, admit my you know conflict of interests as it were ahead of time. I don't like films that demonize rich people, you know, because I don't have a problem with being rich. I think everybody should aspire to be rich. I love capitalism. I'm an unabashed capitalist. I hope I'm wealthy one day. And uh, you know, all, all these these you know these filmmakers who make these stupid films, oh, which people are evil. Okay, so then my question for Ruben Ostlund: I don't know if you win money for winning the Palme d'Or, because he actually won it twice. He won it five, you know, in 2017 with a Square. And he's been nominated for different, he's been nominated for Academy Awards, BAFTA Awards, Golden Globe Awards. Um, and I'm sure he's, he's won other prizes as well, you know, different, different things. So my question for Mr. Ostlund is, uh, you know, any money he's made from his you know, he clearly hates rich people. Any money he's made from his filmmaking career, has he what's he done with that money? Has he just given all his money away? Has he given all the charity? Oh no, actually he probably lives in a very nice house somewhere, he probably drives a very nice car, you know, his kids probably go to some fancy private school for he has kids, you know. So it, it's like it's just so it's just so hypocritical, these people who make these, you know, like these people are famous directors and they're winning all these awards. And they're trying to make films. Been like rich people are bad. It's like, but you're a rich person. So what are you even saying? What are you doing?
1: Yeah, and let me just say as well, like the fact that it was awarded the Palm Door at a Cannes Film Festival, when the majority of people there are very wealthy, is just so funny.
0: No, so and amazing. actually, it's funny oh. you actually mentioned Cannes because I was going to read this thing out, and it actually mentions it. So, I, so I'm going to read to you two paragraphs. Uh, they're quite long paragraphs, but I, I, you know, it was a review that I, I think is a pretty good review by myself. And uh, the point still stands to this film. Um, so this was, this was in my review of Parasite, um, which I'll plug myself and get in my letterbox and read it if you like. Um, Did
1: you like Parasite? I loved
0: Parasite. I gave yeah. it four and a half stars. And that was a film where you can do this critique of the rich and critique of this class system, whatever you want to call it, and do it in a really interesting, intelligent way. So this is what I said in my critique of the film. I said, uh, the bigger problem I have, and, and I said, what, what I'm going to say about Parasite is is can be applied to this film uh, equally. I said, the bigger problem I have is the way that the film discusses the central theme of class divide. I'm not claiming to know what it's like to grow up in South Korea, nor am I attempting to invalidate whatever the director has gone through in his life but I will unequivocally state that I absolutely despise this attitude of demonising the rich that is, that is unfortunately growing ever more prevalent in today's society. It is now de rigueur in the Western world to litter your Twitter buyer with such vapid phrases as eat the rich, to label yourself as anti-capitalist while very much enjoying the spoils of the economic system we all live in, to disparage success and make those who have a desire to get ahead in this world feel dishonourable for doing so. The questions that I would pose, however, is this. Does Bong Jin ho and these questions can equally be applied to Ruben Oslan, by the way. Does Mong Joon-ho have a driver, a cleaner, a chef, an assistant? Did his son ever have a tutor growing up? The fact of the matter is that everyone would take living in... And this is... I'm talking about Parasite here. The fact of the matter is that everyone would take living in that luxurious house over the loathsome semi-basement apartment, and anyone denying it is utterly lying to themselves and everyone else. I've always remembered reading this New York Times article back in 2019 roguishly titled, The Global Economy Runs on Parties You're Not Invited To, which spoke about the ostentatious and lavish Khan Lions, a week-long awards festival for the advertising industry held in the south of France every year. What stuck in me years later is not what the article itself describes, important and wealthy people have been throwing sumptuous soirees for time immemorial, but instead the comments from readers of the article. Rarely before or since have I seen such a vitriolic outpouring of jealousy, resentment and bitterness as the commenters engage in a game of conceited one-upmanship to let everyone know that, of course, they wouldn't be seen dead as such a pretentious, purposeless party, when in reality they would probably give their left arm just to get an invite. Um, so that's what I said about Parasite. And I said I loved Parasite. Four and a half stars, fantastic film. Um, but I feel much the same about Triangle of Sadness in that this is a rich guy, presumably. I mean, he's not like a millionaire or anything. No, he, he might not he be, be rich. He right, he's wealthy. wealthy, exactly. He's a yeah. filmmaker. He's had a lot of critical success. Yeah. <laughs> he's won two Palm d'Ors. He's, so
1: he, he's not slumming it, let's
0: say. No, exactly. And he's making this film, oh, aren't rich people awful? It's like, okay, then, give all your money you made from Triangle of Sadness away. Give it all yeah. away. You don't need it, yeah. right? You hate rich people. I mean, yeah. you, you think they're so evil in the films. So give yeah. all your money away. You don't need it. Yeah, it's so, a
1: problem know. it's a problem with sort of these like champagne socialists who oh, exactly who, who who like are very wealthy but they decry capitalism and the system that made them wealthy. Like if you if you like sorry, we are getting quite political, I suppose. But <laughs> no, but I'm here for it. <laughs> if you like communism and socialism so much, go to Cuba, go to Venezuela, yeah. go and try to move
0: to in, fucking North Korea and let's see yeah, how much you like go, communism go, then.
1: Go and, go and live in a communist society and see how you Sort of see how it works out for you exactly.
0: Um, so that's yeah, that's what that's yeah. I mean, are you done with your sort of analysis? Because yes, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, but my only two final points for I hand the, the yeah. microphone back to you is I would say, look, I did find it funny in parts. What's about like it, it did amuse me when, um, uh, what's the Russian guy's name again? um Dimitri, Dimitri, Dimitri when he like you know took over the intercom and he's like the ship is going under and everyone's like running around panicked and uh, you know and then and then there's you know the boats like you know in that awful storm and people are sliding around the ship you know there's that woman like throwing up and she's like sliding around the bathroom floor I did laugh at those times and so there, there were moments that did make me laugh but uh, overall it was not um yeah I know it's described as a black comedy I didn't really find it funny um and my other question, which maybe you can answer, maybe I just misunderstood the whole thing. Like, I okay, if pirates storm the boat, which we never see, all we see is the grenade going off, and then they're well, on the we island. See,
1: we see them, We see pirates on a boat approaching
0: it. Yes, um, and then we see the we grenade go off, it, and then the next yeah. thing cuts to the island. Yeah, yeah. But my thing is, okay, if pirates storm the boat, how did these people get off? Because presumably, everybody else on the boat died. So how did these people get off? Why did they, you know, why was it, you know, I mean, maybe he said, maybe I'm thinking too much, but it just, when I thought about it, I was like, well, if Pirates stormed the ship, I don't presume they'd either, you know, they'd say, okay, you're going to die. Oh, you people can leave in lifeboat. That's fine. You know, like I sort of figured, okay, they're going to kill everybody. Or, uh, you know, I don't know it just, it just didn't. Or, or when I thought about having it up on the island, it didn't really make sense to me as to how it got there. But but by that point, I was just like not even really invested in it. I was just like, oh, whatever, I don't care. Like, um, it's, you know. Yeah,
1: so I pretty much agree with um, everything you said. <laughs> um, <I gave laughs> yes, it- it's happened. Finally, <laughs> um, yeah, I gave it 1.5 stars yeah that's low for you yeah, wow yeah it is it's funny my my letterbox diary is like 4.5 4. 4.5 4, 4.5 5, 1.5 <laughs> um, i know i was
0: gonna say you're a very high rating yeah
1: right. so i mean yeah i mean i'll, I'll sort of repeat myself because you said most of it but i just didn't like it like it was dull on the nose um not subtle or nuanced like you said um i will say some good stuff so like you said technically it was fine some of it was shot well, especially the stuff on the island. Um, I liked the performances of um, Woody Harrelson and um Dolly DeLeon as of Abigail. I thought they were they were good performances.
0: Yeah, yeah. She was um, she was Do- she Dolly DeLeon was really was, strong. I think she won a gold no, yeah.
1: I think she was nominated for a Golden Globe Award. So she was she she was good. She was good. Yeah. Um I thought if I I thought it dragged for the most part, but I actually thought yes, that, I agree. I thought the first act though was actually had had quite a zip to it. Like it, I was I was somewhat engrossed in the first act, like in the first yes, part. yeah.
0: Like I, 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 I was too yeah. because it felt the most real. Because yeah. you were like, oh, I can, I can yeah. relate to it. Yeah, you know? I was like
1: wondering, oh, like what are these characters going to do? Like where are they going to go? Like, I was engrossed in the first act, um, and it is like. I wouldn't say it's a badly directed film. Like, it is well, I think, it's on the whole, it's well directed in terms of, like, the camera work, and, you know, it's it's not a terrible, like, I wouldn't say it's a terrible film. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, in terms of its sort of satire and politics, it was just a way to one the nose. oh, capitalism bad, rich people bad. Like, it lacks any... Like, it's just, his ideas are so, like, straightforward and, like, obvious. It's just, like... Like I understand that rich people have often been targets like for mockery, but you can you can't take it like that far. Um, I know there, there was a scene where they were Yaya and um Carl were eating at, at the table, and um she like takes a photo of her food, and then um Demetria says, "Oh, like are you gonna eat that?" And she's like, "Oh no!" It's Carl says, "Oh, it's for our Instagram." But it's like it's just such painful like yes people do that but it's just so obvious satire it's not funny but like, yeah I mean? and
0: like like i've known people who like take pictures of their food yeah. for instagram but they eat it after yeah exactly they like, don't just yeah. order food yeah. for the sake of like, instagram I yeah like. Like,
1: <laughs> I, I, I get it satire but it's just it was just so like on the nose um and then like yeah that the, when the captain is like saying oh like you're a capitalist pig to the russian i was just yeah. rolling my eyes i was like this
0: is so stupid but i i will say that that whole dialogue you know, was, was amusing, uh, especially yeah. over the fact that it was done over the whole intercom yeah. and everybody could hear it so. yeah that yeah,
1: was funny <laughs> um yeah and as you said like it was a black comedy but i didn't really laugh at all yeah i suppose um, okay
0: yeah i mean got got a few laughs out of me which is weird. Yeah, yeah yeah i i i agree with your sentiment yeah though.
1: Um, the third act dragged so much. I was just want I was just waiting for the end. I was like, when is this gonna finish? But then but then the ironic thing is I thought the ending basically shit itself because like I, I like I do like an ambiguous and like a dark ending sometimes. I do. I think Christian does as well. But um but it just was so sudden, I really didn't expect it to end there. I was like, I, I actually even though I was bored, I wanted to know what happened after that like i didn't i don't think the ending worked in a way
0: no yeah um, I, I yeah i'd agree because it was very random and you had this coherent thing with okay they found out on this luxury resort the whole time but if they go into this luxury resort abigail will lose her power and the whole point is she's someone who's never had power she's always been in this subservient position catering to the whims of rich people and so she goes to kill yaya but then she sort of hesitates and is like, oh, no, you know. And, 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 and it, it, if it had ended there, fine. But it said, you said, then it cuts to this, oh, Carl running through the forest. And it's like, it's so, it's it's almost like it's come from a different film or like a different still of, uh, you know, like, oh, that should have been in 30 minutes earlier sort of thing, you know. And it's so random and abstract. You're like, what the fuck is that yeah, doing? Yeah, so like-
1: I did like the <laughs> ending. Um, I found the whole like role reversal thing kind of a bit of a, tired cliche i i suppose like oh like sort of lower class person gets power and you know they she has to teach them survival skills i was like i don't know it's just a bit lazy
0: and i mean i don't know if they're referencing have you seen captain phillips with tom hanks yeah yeah they were referencing a film where she's like what am i and they all had to go around saying you are the captain you're the captain i'm like <laughs> maybe. are you trying to like rip off the film from 10 years maybe, earlier maybe, like maybe I mean it didn't work if so, it just yeah sounded forced force yeah. by like yeah. the third. You are the captain. Yeah.
1: Um <laughs> Um and the final thing I'll say is in terms of comparisons, you obviously did this much you sort of said a lot more, but I think yeah, I think Parasite, I'll put it here Parasite did this much better, basically. Oh hundred like, percent. It, it critiqued the rich, but if I, I haven't seen it since its release, but doesn't it also kind of critique the poor people as well like it shows how they can be parasites as well
0: exactly the whole point of the film is 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 the parasite is the both families in the film it's the rich people and the poor people like
1: this is just this film is just saying oh rich people suck but like parasite is balanced in that it says both classes of people can be parasites and be bad so it's much more nuanced um and there's also, there's a TV show called uh, The White Lotus on um, HBO, which is also a satire on sort of wealthy people, but that is, I enjoyed that. It's much better written. Again, it's not so in your face. It's not saying all rich people are bad. It's just kind of, and I'll go through this with um, the, the um, Discreet Charm with Bourgeois, but, like, I do find some of those films quite funny. Like I'm, I'm of the same opinion as you, where I don't think rich people should be demonised to that extent, but, like, when it's comedy and when it's done in a funny way, I do find it quite funny, you know um so this was just too on the nose for me um so yeah that's my that's my thoughts basically, and how i don't you know i don't know what else was dominated for the palm door but i i don't I just find it so funny that it that it won with its you know content
0: i don't know well i mean you know uh, that that is the epitome to me of like. You know the typical response to these sort of films. You know, like it's this pretentious bullshit, and 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 the film world just laps it up. You know, oh, isn't this amazing? It's like, no, it's not. this bullshit.
1: <laughs> I mean, a lot of people on Letterbox are left wing as well. Oh yeah, um, unfortunately, so it sort of skews. <laughs> so it skews towards yeah. that that political sort of view, um, and I assume a lot of the people at Can and the, the people in Hollywood are left wing. So it's more going towards that area, um, but yeah. So yeah, not good. We finally found
0: one. I that we both <laughs> disagree on. It's only taken us what forty something episodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. I'm sure there's <laughs> been stuff we've we've mutually have, disagreed have, I think. on. I, think have, I can't yeah. think of an example to make but I'm yeah, sure there is was yeah. um, things. Yeah. But yes, it's it's nice yeah. to be in agreement for once on a on a bad yeah. film. <laughs> Um, However, for the next one, <laughs> maybe not. God, okay. So the next one is, uh, so final pick is Jacob's pick, uh, The Discreet Charm of Bourgeois, as has been mentioned a few times already, 1972 by Louis, I can't say his name. How do you say it? Louis, Louis Bunuel. Okay, but, yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. uh, so it's, a, it's in French. It's a, a French film, even though he's not French, I believe
1: he's like he's spanish basically spanish yeah um but worked in mexico and um france
0: mainly okay yeah so i'm not gonna even try to give a plot synopsis what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna read the letterbox synopsis then i'll read a parag- a couple paragraphs that's on that's on uh on wikipedia that's it i'm not gonna go into any more detail because i can't it's it's I, I just find it's too complicated a film to explain um. So, I'm not going to bother. So, uh, Letterboxd synopsis it says, in Louis Bouinel, you know, have you say it, deliciously satiric masterpiece, an upper class sextet sits down to dinner but never eats, their attempts continually thwarted by a vaudevillian mixture of events, both actual and imagined. Uh, and Letterboxd goes on to say, you know, the film consists of several thematically linked scenes, uh, five gatherings of a group of bourgeois friends. Uh, in the four dreams of different characters. The beginning of the film focuses on the gatherings, while the latter part focuses on the dreams, but both types of scenes are intertwined. There are also scenes involving other characters, such as two involving a Latin American female terrorist from the fictional Republic of Miranda. The film's world is not logical. The bizarre events are accepted by the characters, even if they are impossible or contradictory.
1: So I I know this sounds like your worst nightmare.
0: It really does. Um... Um... so I I mean I I mean I feel like I should give a plot synopsis, but I just, I feel like it's just too confusing. Um, so it's, I don't. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah, I mean it's. It's basically ba-
1: okay. I I can try. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, you can it's, try. It's I
0: mean, we we really should have got Jacob to like write one for us or something. Yeah, but. I mean, this is going on, this
1: is going off the top of my head now. But basically, um, there are um, there's a couple who's meant to be hosting a dinner party for these friends. Um and the friends turn up at their house, and it's basically they've got the wrong they've got the wrong night, so they basically have to then um uh, because the husband is at like a i think it's at a work meeting and the wife isn't sort of isn't ready to go out um and then they basically have to find somewhere to eat, so they go to look an inn um and there's a sort of um and there's a funeral uh, sort of in there happening because the owner's died um and then it the basically the rest of the film is a sort of procession of sequences where the sextet so the, the six friends they kind of struggle to find a place to eat it's all about them finding a place to have dinner and they can't because uh, these like Jake like you said these interruptions keep on happening and then in the second half of the film there are like dream sequences and there are dreams within dreams um, and it does get rather confusing um, so yeah it's best to go watch it yourself it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to say but that's like the basis of it is these they get the wrong night and they're find they're trying to find somewhere to eat over the course of a week or something I don't know what it is. But.
0: And actually, on that point about interruptions, I'm just I read a, a very interesting and actually quite a clear uh, analysis of it uh, just before, which was it. It said uh, this film is is this is from this uh, a review or you know analysis. Um, from a website called A Sharper Focus, uh, which says it's Essays on Film by Norman Holland. Uh, so Norman Holland, whoever he is, says, uh, this is a film about appetite and appetite interrupted, and it is the interruptions that are more vital than the appetites, um, which I thought was interesting. And so, I, I I mean, yeah, if you want to go and look it up, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, this one's on a website called asharperfocus.com. Um, so I will actually shout them out because I, I do think that the analysis that was given on that website was very clear and, and I, and I explained it in a way that even I could understand, which, you know, I struggle with these types of films. Um, so, yeah, so I gave it half star and surprisingly um, I didn't get it at all. I mean, I, I thought, you know, Jacob picked Persona a few episodes back for us. I thought that was confusing. This was even more confusing than that, I think it just didn't make any sense to me. I mean I, I sort of I looked up a lot of analysis on it in the brief time between finishing it just before we started recording and, and then doing quick looking up some quick analysis and then starting recording. Um so I, I I know it's obviously it's a similar theme of the triangle of sadness and it. it's about you know the rich and parodying the rich and satirizing them etc. um but it was just very uh, inaccessible in my opinion and very just uh, strange which is funny because Rotten Tomatoes has which I found com- completely hilarious it says so you know because Rotten Tomatoes has like a, a, a like a one one sentence or two sentence like or usually one sentence like a uh, uh, overview of every film right and so it says an intoxicating dose of a director's signature surrealist style the discreet charm of a bourgeois represents Brunel at his most accessible. I was like, if this is his most accessible, what the fuck are his other films like? You know?
1: <laughs> that's what I think it more means maybe an access to sort of his surrealist style, because I've seen I've seen four others of his. Um and yeah, they're not as confusing as this one.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. Um, yeah, so I didn't like it at all, didn't get it at all, I had no idea what was going on um what did you think
1: basically so i'll I'll be the first to admit i'm normally not a huge fan of these types of like surrealist films i i don't dislike them i just wouldn't normally be handing out like four and a half or five stars to them so when i finished this i was hovering around a sort of like three three and a half because i did enjoy it when i was watching it i was confused but i did enjoy it Then I did um, more research. Um, I watched a video uh, by a film historian called Peter Cowie, uh, which is on the Blu-ray because I have a... have a box set of Bunuel. And I bumped up to a four because although a lot of things while watching it flew over my head, um, reading about the context and listening to him, it made me sort of think it's a better film, I suppose. Um, And, you know, as you may know, I'm not a leftist and I don't share those views. I'm not one of those like oh eat the rich types, but I do appreciate that there's like something to be said about some of the processes and rituals of the upper class that sort of invite satire and jokes. So I could appreciate the humour that it was aiming for, you know. Um, and I think it helped that I'd seen other Buñuel films before this, so I was sort of tuned in a bit to his like style.
0: Yeah. Well this is my first introduction Um, to his films I mean obviously I knew (laughs) yeah I mean obviously I knew who he was and I've wanted to check out his films uh because I know he's this very highly acclaimed filmmaker you know who everybody reveres. uh but yes this was my sort of first film and there's another I can't remember who it was I'm not going to go back through the archives to look but I know there was another director who was strange in some way and and I remember you said the same thing there where you were like oh that film probably wasn't a good introduction I can't remember for life me what it was but um but yes it's uh maybe it was Um, Magnolia or something yeah yeah
1: but I mean for me it's like it's basically at its heart it's a comedy of manners you know it's about the dialogue the situations like the farcical events that happen so I kind of appreciated that there's a sort of um light touch to it but it also roots itself in these issues um, and the comedy is basically showing us like a group of people who are quite mechanized and they behave according to rules and the traditions that sort of make them out like like sort of robots so I I, I, I quite liked the humor in that because the comedy comes from the way in which they sort of fall foul of those rules I, I thought it was a much cleverer way of doing it than something like Triangle of Sadness which is just these people suck uh, Fernando Rey, who's a very good actor, he plays um, Don Raphael, uh, who's uh, the ambassador of the Republic of Miranda. Um, Buñuel kind of uses that character to show various things. Um, for example, the the sort of um, this the, 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 this is stuff I've sort of read, by the way. I'm sort of you know, um, but he shows the sort of exploitation of the poor in Latin America through this like drug smuggling ambassador that has little concern for his country or the sort of revolutionaries of that country. And that's sort of um, represented by the female activist whom he tries to scare off by shooting, you know, her little dog that she puts down. Um, and he wants to sort of degrade her and sort of, you know, that scene where he's sort of trying to, like fondle her. It's sort of like symbolism saying that he doesn't give, he basically doesn't give a shit about his, about the country but I want to sort of do a rundown of the dreams because I think they're quite important, especially the third one. Um, and there's a very complex, well, it's one of the more complex dream sequences of his films where the third one is essentially, it's a dream within a dream. So the first dream is the young left in the cafe um, who tells the story of as a child, when he sees his dead mother and father, um, the second dream is the sergeant in the house, you know, who tells his friend about his friend, who, who tells them about his friend Ramirez and then looking for his dead mother. He's in the war torn city, etc. Um, okay, so the, the main dream is the third one. So this is going to get a little bit confusing, but basically, for some background, um, Raphael, Don Rafael, who's played by Fernando Rey, he's the ambassador of Miranda. He's having an affair with Madame Thevenot, who's played by Delphine Seyrig. She is the wife of one of his friends, Thevenot, who's in the group. Okay. So it's so basically it starts with um, Thevenot, who dreams that his friend Seneschal, one of the other characters, is dreaming that a certain event is taking place. And it's this dream within a dream that we see first. Um, and the, the, this event is that all the friends are invited to a colonel's house for dinner and they all sit down, um, but then a curtain is raised and it's revealed that a crowd is watching them more like they are in a play. Um, and the play is called Don Juan Tenorio, um, which is a 19th century play uh, featuring a romantic character called Don Juan. Um, and Don Juan is this sort of legendary fictional Spanish libertine who devotes his life to seducing women. Um, And the name Don Juan has become a sort of term for a womanizer, right? Um, So firstly, um, through the use of the play, the unconsciousness of Thevenot is sort of showing the bourgeois as being obsessed with show, sort of artifice, um, theatricality, that sort of thing. And then on the other hand, making the play about Don Juan, it refers to the fact that, Don Raphael is having an affair with his wife. So Raphael is cast as this Don Juan figure, and this is only possible um, in the subconscious, in the unconscious rather than in reality, because it's something that Steveno is unwilling to confront and to face up to. Uh, But the unconscious means that there is sort of a return of these repressed anxieties about his wife. Um, And the key thing is that he's not dreaming it directly. He's dreaming it through Seneschal. So it's an example of... Um, sort of the protection of the ego, because uh, basically Boonwell read a lot of Freud, um, so it's like the key—the protection of the ego by displacing the anxieties onto another dreamer within the dream—and um, then Seneschal wakes up, so it shifts to Thevenot's actual dream, um, and we're back in the party and in the Colonel's house, which is now in a sort of full swing, and Raphael has to suffer more humiliation because basically each member of the party comes up to him and has some sort of thing to say about the injustices or the poverty of life in Miranda or stories about Latin America which are very sort of stereotypical and fold into one sort of mass um, and Bunuel is essentially showing that Thévenot is sort of subconsciously keeping insults on, Dan, on Don Rafael because of this affair with his wife but in a wider sense Bunuel is also talking about the sort of Eurocentric yeah. reductivism of Latin America because Latin America It's a big country with different languages, landscapes, cultures. So Buñuel is essentially saying that um, Europeans have little awareness of the sort of idiosyncrasies of these different countries in Latin America. Um, And it's an example of sort of Orientalism, but applied to Latin America. So that's that's the analysis that, well, I took it mostly from Peter Cowie, um, but I thought it was clever. then you have the fourth dream, which is about a police sergeant who dreams he has released these uh, student protesters, and then uh, the fifth dream is uh, Raphael imagining that at another dinner party, all of his fr- all of the friends get shot by a group of men who break in, um, and only he survives by hiding under a table. But he reaches up, grabs some lamb, and then is uh, sort of found out and shot. Um, and you know, overall, we don't know how else, how, what. what what other parts of the film are a dream or not but it's sort of interesting because you don't know and um and what's interesting as well is that neither he nor anyone else who dreams seem capable of basically working out the implications of the dreams they're not interested in they're not concerned about you know what these dreams mean or what they need to fix about their lives etc you know there's no active effort to change there's lots of another other analysis here about the bishop priest the bishop worker because basically um that was the thing in the '60s. These Catholic priests would work on these houses, and Brunel basically turns this into a big joke. Um And he sort of has stuff with the priest where he kills this um gardener who had killed his parents as a boy. But he kill he kills him, and then he basically um, he basically absolves him. So it shows that sort of like an outward show of piety. It's sort of, sort of like a hypocritical outward show of piety. Uh, Because he absolves the man who killed his parents. Um, And then, technically, I thought it was great. The blocking, the camera fluidity, I thought it was great. Um, The sort of configuration of the characters in the screen, I thought it was very well shot, very well planned. I did quite laugh. Um, When the priest appears to the Seneschals, the couple, he's dressed as a gardener because he wishes to do the job for them. but, But because he looks like a working class type, he's sort of thrown out the house. Then he gets back in his priest attire and is let back in and is like hypocritically apologized to. So, Bunuel is sort of saying that the upper classes tend to. I'm not, again, I'm not saying this is my personal view and that they're all like this, but the point is that some upper classes may judge people based on their appearance. They don't look at the face, they look at the outfit, etc. I also find this quite funny. Um, on several occasions, there's a sound of like an airplane flying overhead and sort of drowning up the sound of people talking. So it's saying that the bourgeois don't wish to be sort of heard when they're talking about I mean, dodgy deals or anything like that. Um, so it's sort of suggesting the sort of like wish fulfillment of the non-rational, unconscious in these dreams, and sort of all for the convenience of the of the bourgeois. Um, and I will finally finish on a quote which I found, which is: um, "Bunuel's fascination with the discrete charms of these bourgeois characters is twofold. On the one hand, ultra polite." Good looking civilization hides or even nurtures impressive acts of savagery and criminality. A bishop commits murder, high ranking government officials smuggle drugs and remain immune to the law, dissidents are tortured. This complicated interplay of normality and transgression is taken for granted by Boonwell as the status quo, just the way things are in the rotten modern world, but he also delights in showing how, on the other hand, that balance can easily come unstuck. Too many embarrassing or needling questions from a colonel to Don Rafael about the politics of Miranda lead to a deadly duel and discretion gives way to flagrant indiscretion whenever the most basic human appetites, hunger or lust force their way into the foreground of a situation. Um, a couple's itch for amor-fu, so like yeah, love, um, leads to the abandonment of their assembled guests while the compulsion to chomp on a decent piece of meat gives Rafael away just when he should be hiding from a terrorist machine gun. So yeah, that's my analysis. Um, again, I I did find it confusing, but reading up on it and with a rewatch, I feel like I'll, I'll understand more. And I think I think it's very very clever. Even though I may not agree with everything in what it's trying to say, I think it's clever in what it's in what Bunuel is saying about it.
0: Was your quote from a letterbox review?
1: No, it was on a, it was on an article. It was on an article.
0: I was going to say I I found a letterbox review, which I feel like. Uh, sums up my views on it. So I will quote it now. But if you said, surrealist, nonsensical bullshit. That's it. <laughs> and uh, I agree. It was surrealist, nonsensical bullshit. <laughs>
1: everything, every, everything I just said.
0: No, 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 no. I, I, no I, I Here's the thing. I look at it, and I was thinking about it actually after I gave it a half star. I thought, I think of it the same way as I think of Persona. In that, I don't get it at all, but I feel like it's trying to say something. But I feel like the
1: thing is reading, reading the context and reading some of the, and what and the analysis I just said. Does it? Does it? Some of it not make more sense. to It
0: you? does, but I I just feel it's like Persona in a sense where and 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 I have to you know I I I'm not going to rewatch Persona. I'm not going to rewatch this. So I can't tell you why I gave Persona one star and this half a star, but. It's 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 like Persona in that I can understand he's obviously trying to say something. But I feel like it's so buried in nonsense and surrealism and all these ridiculous goings on that it's just it's lost on the the everyday man as it were, the common person, you know. Like you see I disagree because
1: this has again you you're gonna say the hive mind or whatever. But this has good this has good scores on letterbox, and I've read countless articles and people who do get it on the first view and if you again, I was confused, but all it took for me was to read more on it and you know watch watch more clips and I think yes, some of the investors are buried in the actions, but that's the point you need to and you need to analyze what's happening and the actions of the people. And then you understand it more, in my
0: opinion. Yeah, I mean, I said I did try to read some analysis in the brief time oh. I had, but I, I, I do think, and I know it's cliche to say, for me, I do think it's just high mind things. I, I'll read you off Wikipedia, right? So this is what it says: some of this is about Punel, not about this film specifically. So seven of Bunel's films are included in Side and Sound's 2012 Critics Poll of the top 250 films of all time. Fifteen of his films are included in the They Shoot Pictures, Don't They? list of the 1,000 greatest films of all time, second only to Jean-Luc Godard. Uh, and he ranks number 13 on the list of the top 250 directors. Um, and early in the article, which says, he has been widely considered by many film critics, historians, and directors to be one of the greatest and most influential filmmakers of all time. I guess my point is, yes, I can tell there is something there, although I don't think it's, it's like, deep as maybe he thinks it is or as he, or as he wants it to be. But I do also think that there are a lot of people out there who think this film is amazing or think Brunel is amazing. I know I'm going off one film of his, but because he is Louis mm-hmm. Buñuel, and this is the discreet charm of a bourgeois, and oh, well wow, isn't so deep and philosophical? and oh, I'm, I'm so smart because I get it. It's like, oh, give me a break. Yeah, but you but know? I think
1: you're just you're just applying that to what you think someone could think. Like, I, you know, from my opinion, people, yeah, sure, there could be a couple of people like that people are allowed to like this film. You know? No, they're not. People, Nobody's, people, people are only saying, allowed to like, like what me, I like. For me, if I, <laughs> if I don't like a film, that's not my first thought. My first thought is I personally didn't like it.
0: Maybe hey, See, I'm always right. This is the thing. I'm yeah, always right, <laughs> and everyone else what, is always wrong. That's, so. not to,
1: that's not what I'm trying to... I just, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm always right. <laughs> like, I, I think that people, you know can understand something more than... You know, can like things that I don't. You know, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, I, I, My first thought isn't, oh, I, am you know, these people are wrong, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. that's just me. <laughs> um, Maybe
0: I just have a lot like, of uh, confidence in myself and my own views.
1: <laughs> no, that's fine. So, so, so do I. So do I. But I think that other people also can. I think that other people also have confidence that they like this film. You know, they... That's, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I
0: can you, tell, I was watching it, I can tell, yes, it's the satire of the witch. There is some message he is trying to communicate. I just felt like I was so lost in all this surrealism. And I said, that's a personal thing to me. I don't get surrealism. I don't, like I said, Jacob loves it. Right. Like, that's why I picked this. That's why he picked this. That's why he picked Persona. That's why he's picked all the films he's picked since came on the podcast. Bad Boy Bobby you know or all, all, all these sort of things you know but for me it's like i do not get to realism or abstract or avant-garde or whatever label you want to give things i don't like it so it's like anytime i watch things like this i'm just like i it's just like an instant negative reaction i'm just like this is so stupid and you know, for blah, blah, blah.
1: me it's not i enjoy films as well i like you know these straight dramas and narrative features whatever but I like films that challenge you as well and make you, make you think more about what's going on. I don't, you know, I like films that, that are challenging in that, in that fashion. I don't like to just watch, I do like these types of films, you know, straight narrative features, et etc. et cetera. But I like art house films. I mean, th- th- this is super art house. This is more art house than other stuff, art house stuff I've seen. But I like films that don't just lead you down this one narrative path. That you know challenge you in more meaningful ways. That's what I enjoy about them. Yeah.
0: So you know, I I I guess my point is you can be challenged as a viewer yeah. without having to wade through endless you know depths of of indecipherability. But yeah,
1: but uh, but, and, but and... It's indecipherable to you, it might not be indecipherable yes. to other to other people. So yeah, you know.
0: Maybe I just have an inferiority <laughs> complex about not getting films. <laughs>
1: I don't know. Uh, yeah. Know, we obviously, you know, me, you and, me and Jacob, um, obviously, you know, like a bit more. I mean, I think Jacob is more on the surrealistic side than I am. Yes. I'm not, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I, I think all surrealist films are sort of masterpieces and I love them all. Know, there, there probably are some that I watch. I watched one called um, The Double Life of Veronique. And um, that has a that has a four point one letter box, and I gave that whatever one one point five stars. Okay, so like I'm not all the time, you know, liking these just because they're art house or you know, um, but this one I just felt there was a lot of um substance to it, and I did enjoy reading and about the analysis. About
0: yeah, it. So, that's fair enough. Yeah. The ultimate takeaway is Jacob start picking normal yeah, films. J- yeah. Jacob, Please. Jacob,
1: Jacob's <laughs> net challenge is to pick a narrative, a film with a strong narrative plot.
0: Yeah, mainstream. Yeah. Mainstream, um, Netflix, <laughs> mainstream Netflix <yeah>. narrative story. <laughs> That's Jacob's challenge. So we, we can we can take uh, him up on that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I think that wraps up episode forty-three. Thanks everyone for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, you can leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll see you next episode.